Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It's Rahina, that's Monday, the 28th of November. Kornathan Rararariaho. Coming up, we will touch down in the United States and Europe. We've got our double barreled correspondent standing by, Anna Burns Francis, Nita Blake Person. Four surnames should get it done. First up was at yesterday's funeral of the slain dairy worker Janik Patel, and the chairman of the Sandringham Business Association joins us live. And as the campaign to save Auckland's historic St James Theatre ramps up, we've got a rare chance to take a look inside. We once boasted majestic picture palaces up and down Queen Street, all gone. Other countries preserve their artistic heritage. Auckland doesn't seem to care. And this is just unbelievably tragic. Welcome to First Up, I'm Nathan Rarere and we kick off the week in the United States where Anna Burns Francis has been keeping an eye on things for us. Kia ora Anna, how are you? Very well, I was going to say very well, but it's a bit cold today, winter is on the way. Oh it's a foot, here it comes. Hey now, um, a lot of people having dinner guests recently over Thanksgiving, that's good, but I see that the former president there, Mr Donald Trump, uh, has been forced to defend his dinner that he had with Kanye West and another very well known anti-Semite called Nick Fuentes. Yeah, this was really weird. This is news of the weird for the week, for sure, Nate. Um, Look, a rocky start, you've got to think, to Donald Trump's run to the White House in 2024 because he did have uh, two very interesting dinner guests, as you said, uh, this week. The rapper, formerly known as Kanye West, uh, and Nick Fuentes, who is a white supremacist and Holocaust denier. Now, there will be quite a few Trump supporters who will see themselves aligned with anti-Semites like Fuentes and West, but you've got to think this is not good for Trump with the broad-based support he needs to win the next election, and especially not with the Jewish vote, because they threw themselves behind Trump at the last election. Um, Just why this particular trio were dining together at Mar-a-Lago in the first place remains a mystery, but Trump, in his usual style, has denied knowing anything about Fuentes before he turned up. As for West, well, it seems the most important thing that he thought was discussed on the night was that the former president told him that he should not run for president in 2024. I guess it's obvious Donald Trump doesn't want any competition. <laughs> Boy, that's real life that uh, Anna just spoke about. Real life, that actually happened. Here we go. Hey, let's, let's have a look at something which actually a lot of people probably do need to pay a little bit more attention to. Climate change looks like it's at the Mississippi River. Yeah, look, and probably not an issue many Americans would really think about until they will see the impact on food production and ultimately on the shelves at the supermarket. The river's water levels are at the lowest they have been in a decade. Um, The problem is that this is not only a really big deal, it'll need a really big solution because this is, of course, the second largest river in the United States, provides drinking water to around 20 million people, and it's a transport corridor. Corridor. It ships billions of dollars worth of US-produced food every Every year. Uh, there is one group of people uh, who, while they might not be happy about it, are certainly very interested in this development. Amateur enthusiasts and archaeologists have discovered the remains of sunken ships and even the tooth of an American lion that has been extinct for 11,000 years. Wow. Okay, yeah, there's that only silver lining, but let's just stop that and uh, get the water bag, <laughs> water level back up. Um, now, Twitter has, has been in the news, and we're, we're always fascinated by, you know, when the rich get involved in things. So what, Twitter has lost 50 of its top 100 advertisers. Oof, that's not good yeah. for Elon. 
Do you think he's looking at his bank balance every day going, how am I going to pay the interest? Maybe not, because in true Elon style, he seems to be doubling down. Um, look, it's a lot of money to have evaporated so quickly. Hundreds of millions of dollars, you've got to think, that he is unlikely to claw back. And these are household names, these advertisers. And uh, you know, other social sites rely on them because they are consistently big advertisers throughout the year. They don't just do promotions around holidays, that sort of thing. So Chevrolet, Eli Lilly, Ford, all of them are gone. It's done little to dissuade Musk uh, of his campaign of overhauling Twitter, though. He's now threatening that if Apple and Google ban his app from their online stores, well, no problem. He'll simply build a new phone. Interesting strategy for a company that's not actually making any money at the moment. But he says it's all sunny in Twitter land. Yeah, as long as the phone doesn't explode on takeoff. Uh, what about this one here? <laughs> railroad, railroad workers had trouble with that one this morning. Preparing for a strike there on December 9th. What, why are they striking? That could be, I guess, annoying and expensive. Yeah, it'll be both. But yeah, they have got grounds to, to go on this strike, of course, because they want better pay, not unreasonable. Uh, they do belong to a union. And they want better provisions around things like sick leave. The problem for them has been that, of course, American inflation is so high and they've finally had enough. But it will cost, if they do end up going on strike, $2 billion US dollars a day. That's probably just a little over $3 billion New Zealand dollars a day. And it will affect nearly every American economy. Economy. President Biden is actually so worried about it, he's personally tried to negotiate a settlement with the railroad workers, but so far, no luck. Wow. Uh, okay, we'll keep an eye on that one. And also, too, a, a runoff in Georgia, and the voters have started heading to the polls. Um, tell, tell us where but we're at with that. Yeah, they finally have. So this is the quirky state out of all of the midterm election results. This is the one where if neither candidate gets more than half the vote, then they've got to do it all over again. Well, campaigning started literally all over again the day after those midterm election uh, results for Raphael Warnock, that's the pastor, versus Herschel Walker, the football player, who I think it's fair to say holds only a vague regard for the truth. Uh, look, after a brief spat between lawyers for the Republicans and Democrats, early voting was allowed to start yesterday on the first time holiday weekend after Thanksgiving. Warnock is already in the lead over Walker, but that's not unexpected given that Democrats do tend to vote early, but also because in that first race uh, in the midterms, there was a third independent candidate. Now, he actually split the vote and not uh, in, in, Walker's fa in Warnock's favour, I should say, but that bias should be evened out now. And if Raphael wins, he will well and truly have secured the Senate. Not that it makes a huge amount of difference, to be fair, because, of course, uh, it might be useful to the president, but the Republicans do now control the lower house. That was a whole lot. Thank you very much for that. Anna Burns, Francis, Mrs. Nothing, and uh, that's why she's the best. She's out of the States for us there here on First Up. It is 11 past five. Uh, listening to us here on RNZ National. Protests have intensified across uh, many cities across China against the ongoing zero COVID restrictions. Crowds in Shanghai have been heard calling for the resignation of President Xi Jinping. The BBC's Stephen McDonnell has this report. It's not unusual to see acts of defiance in China, but this was something different. A crowd of protesters in Shanghai chanted, calling for the country's leader Xi Jinping to stand down and for the Communist Party to give up power. A fire which killed 10 residents in Xinjiang last week has prompted widespread anger in China. Zero COVID restrictions have been blamed for hampering people's escape and slowing the access for fire crews. 
Whether this is true or not, it sparked waves of protest in the regional capital, Arunchi. This has now spread to other cities and university campuses as spontaneous memorial services for those who died in the fire have transformed into demonstrations, calling for an end to lockdowns, mass testing and other coronavirus measures. People are also blaming Xi Jinping personally for not easing the zero COVID approach, which is tanking the economy. Protests have been building in China all year, with people here increasingly sick of zero COVID restrictions. The government seems to have drastically underestimated popular discontent, yet for the moment has no easy way out of the zero COVID corner it's painted itself into. That was Stephen McDonnell reporting from Beijing. It's 13 minutes past five here at First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. It is Monday morning and we are crossing to find out what's happening in Europe. Uh, Nita Blake-Person stands by. Kia ora, Nita. Morena, Nathan. Now, last time, I, um, you know, it was good news for Kherson, uh, the Ukrainian city there had been taken back. But to see residents of that city who had returned are fleeing again. Can you tell us why that is? Yeah, well, the mood certainly shifted. Uh, yes, when we when we last spoke, we were talking about the liberation. Uh, Ukrainian soldiers had reclaimed Kherson, but uh, there was a fear that when the Russian soldiers retreated across to the other side of the Dnipro, right on the front lines of this war, that they would escalate uh, their missile attacks coming back across. And that's exactly what's happened. So Kherson's had a really tough few days of attacks on not just infrastructure, but also residential homes, uh, injuring and killing civilians. So now for many people living in Kherson, they, they've been through this nine months of Russian occupation, but they are deciding it's too dangerous to stay at this point. And uh, yesterday there was a big traffic jam snaking out of town about a kilometre long with trucks stacked with cars, everyone carrying what they could to get out. One of the, uh, the city's hospitals has had to evacuate and officials have actually been asking people to, if they can leave the city, please do so because the pressure on and services are so intense and, and with the shelling, the shelling continuing, it's a power that's being really hard hit. The missile attacks are causing huge problems for energy infrastructure and it's a real struggle to keep electricity on. So that's making uh, the winter weather a bit of a weapon because it's become very cold in this part of the world in recent weeks and Ukraine is copping a lot of snow and uh, sub-zero temperatures. Yeah, of course, uh, any war history there remembers that winter uh, clogged down a lot there. But tell us, it's not all of Europe that's um, having this cold snap as you head towards winter, isn't it? Because I see, what, what, tell me about this, it just says heat wave. <laughs> well, as this is from a few months back, so if <laughs> you remember uh, when things were incredibly hot and that was causing major issues here, you know, Europe, uh, UK rather, hit 40 degrees um, and there were record wildfires and devastating droughts. Now, a university study has concluded that all of that weather actually caused around 20,000 more deaths than uh, would be usual for that time. So most of the excess deaths were recorded in France, followed by 
by the UK, then Spain and Germany. And um, this is just people not coping in the heat. So it's down a lot on uh, a previous heat wave back in 2003, which caused more than 70,000 excess deaths. Uh, a lot of the, the learnings, as it were, from that heat wave were supposedly put into practice, um, early warning systems, air-conditioned schools, checking on people who might be vulnerable, things like that. So the, the researchers have been looking into this, think that all of the steps that were taken back then may have helped save some lives this time around, which is a positive. But they are warning that, uh, you know, this won't be the last heat wave likely uh, as climate change makes this weather more frequent and more intense in the future. I've got one more thing to ask you about and I really wish that uh, I think from next year whenever we have anything involving a heist I want some of that really cool heist music you know with someone playing bongos oh. and uh, you know those jazz trumpet kind of things but tell me about this a museum heist in Germany. Yeah, I, I'm all for the music. So this uh, is it's it's unfolded this week, and it's a it's a very slick operation. Some thieves have taken nearly 500 ancient Celtic coins and a big uh, lump of gold from a museum in southern Germany, not too far from Munich, and it's estimated to be worth around 1.6 million euros. So serious coin and it happened overnight on Tuesday it all happened very quickly a, a, a rundown if, if you bear with me 1:17 a.m the cables at this telecommunication hub about a kilometer from the museum are cut and that knocks out networks for the entire region then you've got a little while later 1:26 a.m a door is pried open at the museum uh, and it closes again nine minutes later so in that nine minute nine minute window uh, a glass cabinet was smashed they scooped out some treasure and away they went so police now are looking not just in Germany but internationally for these coins and whoever was responsible because police saying that the officers uh, or the investigators behind this have found parallels between this case and a heist back in 2019 in Germany where 113 million euros worth of jewels were stolen. So um, it, it's looking very polished and museum officials have acknowledged though that there was no guard on duty overnight. So they only found out things were actually missing when they came into to work the following morning. So that may uh, be a rostering decision they regret. Might be. Oh my goodness. Thank you very much. Nita, Blake Person there with all of the news out of Europe. It's 18 and a half past five. I'm Nathan Radity here at First Up on RNZ National. On the programme this morning, Glenn Forsyth makes a bold claim about mangoes. That's on the way soon. And also the chairman of the Sandringham Business Association joins us as people call for action following the death of shopkeeper Janik Panel, uh, Patel last week. There they are standing in the rear. Big one, small one, some big Last one for November. Time to check in uh, with the king of it all, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth. Morning, Glenn. How are you? Morning, Nathan. Very well. How are you? I'm good. Now, you know, gourmet things are always better. Though it's because I've got the word gourmet in the front. Tell us about what you've been finding out about um, gourmet potatoes because you've been rooting around there over the weekend and get, get, having a bit of a look around. Yeah, you did. Right about the gourmet. Have wanted to introduce these potato growers for our listeners for years and finally caught up with Robin Oakley of Oakley's Premium Fresh Vegetables from Canterbury over the weekend and what a heck of a great family they are. Robin is fifth generation. It all started in the 1870s and they are mostly associated around potatoes. He did add though, they grow pumpkin, picked up beetroot, 
starting their onions this season and flushing on broccoli this week, actually. But their flagship line are their go- uh, golden gourmet potatoes in a 1.5 kilo box or the petites in a 1 kilo. Now, they are a spectacular potato, naturally softer, sublime texture and butte flavour. They pounced on these for their eating quality. Now, there, there is the Oakley's Duo box and even Trio containing the golden gourmet, a red and a purple. Now, Robin's favourite ways of eating the golden gourmet, simply boiled with a little salt, then straight on the plate and butter optional as these have their own buttery texture. He was saying now the other way they like them is roasted, but they rub a little olive oil over them beforehand, plus his secret ingredient, he calls it, smoked New Zealand garlic salt from the original Smoke and Spice Company. Then in the oven with a with a halfway shake and the result, beautiful, soft and sweet potatoes. No peeling on either recipe. And a further trick he, he mentioned to save sprouting, sprouting, you can pop the whole box in the crisper drawer if you take longer than a, a week to eat through the carton. So, yeah, fantastic. Do try them. More yummy recipes on their web page as well, oakleys.co.nz. So if you haven't tried these these spuds, Nathan, yeah, give, give them a try. So hang on, just to go back, so you, you can put the, the spuds in the in the crisper in the, the bottom of the I fridge know, there. Okay. I know. I know. It surprised me. But, Couldn't yeah, that, that was his... Uh, the trick. All right, audience, we'll give that a go. Uh, what about uh, the, the rest of the veggie world? Because, I mean, the potato is the staple, but uh, what else is going on in veggie veggies this week? Okay, so we made a beeline to the onion sales guy this morning to get the scoop. New season from Pukakoi have started, but slow going. Uh, in, in fact, one grower was busy handpicking this weekend before the rain. Skins are very thin and delicate, so be gentle as they bruise easily. One market has three growers starting next week, but market expects retail prices to stay high for at least a fortnight yet, that being about $13 a kilo plus on red and $5 a kilo plus on the brown. I find it extraordinary that some places put up a simple piece of A4 paper to say no red onions in our burgers. I mean, to me, that is a cop-out. However, moving on to lines that were in good supply today, and they were broccoli, lettuce, and cucumbers, a couple of nice in-season lines looking very shiny, a capsicums and eggplant. Now, four weeks until the big Christmas dinners take place, and we will be lucky enough to have Coomera in good supply. These are a super they're super good for you, versatile and nutritious, packing a fair amount of vitamin A, vitamin C, and manganese. They have anti cancer properties and may promote immune function, gut health, brain function and eye health. And for something different Nate, we've talked about this in the past, you can slice kumra to make toast and put avocado smash on top. Wow. Um, okay, well, someone in the audience will be brave enough to try that and, and get hold of us. Now, I understand you have a bold claim to make about mangoes Glenn, what is this? Oh, it was a great one in our family. Uh, how's the weather, Nathan? It must be the first day of spring this Thursday, is it? Well, we kind of. I mean, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cold. But not surprising, a few lines in better supply today are imported. Bobby bananas, a four mandarins, USA grapes, pomegranates, and R2E2 mangoes. We do have good supplies of New Zealand avocados, Valencia oranges, blueberries, and strawberries, with a sprinkling of raspberries, blackberries, and a handful of yummy brand yellow flesh peaches in 700 gram bags but stone fruit is still expensive but do your little ones like fresh mangoes uh one does one doesn't yeah so these are two e2s they're something else big tender and that incredible mango flavor but as kids i remember the treat was being given the stone with its fair share of flesh still around it and chewing all that off also but we had to do that over the kitchen sink because you know because of all the juice but but if you haven't tried the r2 e2 nathan yeah do do try Will do. Thank you very much, Glenn Forsyth. You can find the R2 E2 mango hanging out with a taller gold robot uh, mango.
from the Star Wars track there. Thank you, Katrina. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life called the 28th of November. On this day, New Zealand remembers. Gosh, I, I, yes, I was a boy when this happened. I remember it being all over the news. Uh, some of you will remember the shocking announcement when it came through uh, that on this day in 1979, the Air New Zealand Flight 901 had crashed into Mount Erebus on a sightseeing flight over Antarctica, killing all 257 people on board. Yeah, 1979 that was. Uh, let's have a look at birthdays uh, for today. Karen Gillan, the Scottish actress who's quite brilliant. She's 35 years old today. And All Black Greg Somerville was born in Wairoa on this day 45 years ago. 115 games for the Crusaders and 66 for the All Blacks there. The drummer for both Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. That's not a bad gig. Uh, Matt Cameron, he turns 60 years old today as well as actor Ed Harris. If you want someone to look stern in a movie, Ed Harris, it's for you. And Randy Newman is 79 years old today. Apparently he hates the song Short People that he wrote, reckons it's a curse. And happy 40th birthday to Chibata Bread. I know. <laughs> it was first produced on this day by Arnaldo Cavallari. Uh, it was called bread. He called the bread Chibata because it looked like a slipper. So it basically means the slipper bread. And the idea was they came up with it because the Italian bakers were getting really upset that at that time they felt their culture was being invaded by the baguette. And they're like, all of our great sandwiches are on a baguette. Make our own bread. So there you go. The Chibata. 1982. I was quite surprised by that, and that's my wow. Sit down for that fact. And uh, it did all right there for Arnaldo because he sent that recipe off to bakers in 11 countries. He's probably living in a big old house now thanks to his bread slipper. Stepping up to the mic for the business team, it's Ananzaki. Kia ora, sir. How are you, man? Morena. Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Tell me about this this new online medicinal cannabis clinic that's going to launch in New Zealand. How does that work? Yeah, it's uh, we have a yeah, like you say, an online a new online medicinal cannabis clinic, uh, hoping to tap into uh, tens of thousands of potential customers uh, who are priced out of the legal ways uh, to get hold of the product uh, at the moment. So Restore Me is the name of the clinic, and it's set to launch on Thursday. It's led by a group of uh, qualified uh, health professionals. Uh, they're promising to offer cheaper consult fees. Uh, they, they said it'll be cheaper than many GP fees. So you can uh, do it all online. Uh, you can do it in, in person as well. Uh, but uh, the online is the way they hope that it can uh, reach many people who otherwise might, um, for whatever reason, might not want to go through the legal process of getting it. Now, Restore Me uh, says... Uh, of the more than uh, the estimated 250,000 medicinal cannabis users in the country, uh, only about 6% is legal. So we spoke to Chief Executive Brendan Ogilvie, and he says uh, this offers the company uh, an opportunity to expand into a big potential customer base. And he reckons around 30% of those 250,000 users could convert uh, into the legal side. 
And it's a safety thing uh, above all as well. Medicinal cannabis uh, through legitimate sources have significantly higher safety standards. Uh, Now, Mr Ogilvie, we spoke to him, he says next year we'll see uh, many uh, local suppliers with verified products in the market uh, and more products mean lower prices. So this is uh, all coming in at an interesting time. So uh, look, like I said, interesting thing to watch. Uh, it's hoped it can really improve the accessibility and uh, cut down the reliance on so-called uh, green fairies, uh, as this is online. And green fairies, as well-intentioned as they are, according to uh, Brendan Ogilvy, they do carry a bit of a risk. Right. Uh, gets it all in the tax pool too. Now, um, ever since, I think it was the bloke Richard, I forget what his name was, with the shoe bombs or whatever, and carrying water that they were going to turn into bombs, we've had liquid restrictions. The transatlantic plot. Yeah, yeah. So, so but yeah. it says here liquid restrictions could possibly end for international travel. Yeah, this has been a real pain, hasn't it, uh, when you travel overseas? So at the moment, you can only take uh, these little 100 ml containers into your carry-on, and uh, they have to be in a clear plastic uh, bag uh, that can't be, uh, that can't have more than a litre, uh, and it's been a thing for about 15, 16 years in many countries since that transatlantic plot. Uh, and But yeah, that could soon be a thing of the past, thanks to high-tech 3D scanners. Uh, they work similar to CT scanners used in hospitals. Now, the BBC is reporting that the UK government is considering uh, rolling these scanners out nationwide by mid-2024. Now, I have to say there are a handful of airports already using it uh, just across the globe, uh, notably Amsterdam and Atlanta uh, Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson but it's interesting uh, the interesting thing about the UK is this sounds like it'll be a nationwide rollout so when you have a major country like the UK roll it out you can only imagine others will follow suit so uh, that's uh, hopefully uh, some uh, relief for international travellers as we uh, emerge uh, out of the couple of years of no travel. Yeah, because the, a bottle of pump in the airport terminal is about the same as your flight ticket, and it's always horrible to have to dump it out. So I think that is good. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at ten two seven. What about when you get a sandwich? Oh my goodness! Uh, to the money markets now. Your New Zealand dollar is trading around the world at the following. Uh, these are all very exact. 62 US cents, 93 Australian cents, 60 Euro cents, 52 British pence, 4.48 yuan and 86.91 Japanese yen. It's Barry Guy who's uh, with us from the sporting department. Kia ora. Morena. This, uh, the World Cup, if it was in that, the, it's so funny because people go, yeah, oh, but it's in a horrible place. Yeah, oh, but it's in a horrible place. But it is the World Cup of upsets, Barry. And it's continued. I uh, I came in this morning thinking, well, I can't imagine there's too much has happened this morning, <laughs> but uh, we've had uh, uh, Costa Rica, who were probably the worst team in week one, have just beaten uh, Japan overnight. Japan, who had beaten Germany. Yes. And uh, Belgium, who, uh, what, a year ago were the number one ranked team in the world or something like that? They got beaten 2-0 by Morocco. 
Um, I saw a very good uh, documentary about the Moroccan team on Al Jazeera over the weekend. Um, And so they will be going crazy, Morocco. So this opens the whole thing up, really. It's uh, all of both of those groups, Group E and Group F. At the moment, Canada is leading Croatia which is in itself is a little bit of a uh, an upset score. And mm-hmm. then later, Spain are playing Germany. So both of those groups are really sort of wide open. Now, Japan would have almost guaranteed their spot in the last 16, but that's gone. So, yeah, it's great. Fantastic. It is, it is so open, yeah. And, yeah. and it, 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 I'm finding it quite interesting. I was listening to some uh, British radio, and that they were they were very upset about how things had gone in the World Cup and that. But then, as a couple of listeners rang out, went, "No, but this is what we wanted, wasn't it? Didn't, don't yeah. we want this around the world and it's competitive? So, yeah, yeah on the on, the, on the, the field, it's been fun. Yes, but the biggie today, isn't it? So, if Germany lose today to Spain, that's at what yeah. eight o'clock kickoff. Then they're gone, aren't they? That I think would mathematically, be right? Yeah. yeah. I would say, yeah. So, uh, no, this is wonderful. I'm enjoying, as I said, uh, on Friday, I'm actually enjoying coming in at, uh, you know, half past four in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few people doing those, at least as they go. Yeah, Um, so um, I'm just going to quickly talk about rugby. And, uh, you know, Ian Foster's been under pressure all the time um, here the last couple of years. But uh, it looks like uh, Wayne Pivak. Uh, his uh, his uh, season may be coming to an end with Wales after they, uh, I think, lost uh, two or three and the only win they had was over Argentina. And also there's pressure on Eddie Jones at England. Um, a superb effort by the Springboks, uh, an understrength Springboks side yeah. too, you know, because they had a whole lot of players going back to their clubs. Um, beating, even with only 14 men, beating England. So uh, Eddie Jones is under pressure too. I see that uh, Warren Gatlin is the leading contender to take over if Pivak goes. And also Steve Hansen's name was mentioned also, of both of them going back. But there is also talk that perhaps uh, with the World Cup only one year away, they might stick with the PVAC. Mm. Uh, but of course, everyone wants uh, Scott Robertson. Scott Robertson, yes. And... Um, the Irish guy who was with him at Ronan the O'Gara. Rona O'Gara. Yeah, that that's seen as the dream team of coaching uh, a side, and everyone wants them. And I imagine if England uh, wants them, then they're uh, very much willing to pay for them. So, I was thinking, uh, though, yeah. Eng- England lost a lot of money during COVID. Remember, they've just had a few of their uh, premiership clubs fold as well. Yeah. And I'm thinking Eddie Jones was on a huge amount of money. I know he's been speaking to the Americans. Apparently, they, they want him for eight years after this next World Cup. Okay. So um, I, I think it'll just cost them too much to pay him out. Uh, so they yeah, might, might stuck with him. Good yeah. point, yeah. Although it... Yeah. Well, I suppose up until the last couple of years, money never seemed to be an issue for no, didn't. for England, did they? Um, what happened over there? Scored it's one all. Oh, one all. Okay. Yeah. And, so, and um, if we, if you like, if you love your rain, then um, organise a cricket tour. <laughs> yeah. Um, and where are they next? Oh, yeah. So Hamilton, uh, India got to bat a little bit. Um, uh, it was good to see in that uh, first game though, Tom Latham. Yes, in the oh, Pocket Shield, it scored a couple of double centuries. He comes back in, fantastic, and you know, the whole, it just sort of looked, um, you know, with him in there, it just sort of looks, uh, the batting lineup looks, you know, settled and just well structured and that sort of thing. Uh, where's the next one, Christchurch? I think on Wednesday. Fingers crossed for the weather there, yes. but they still managed to get the softball, didn't they? So uh, the New Zealand lost to the USA at. Over in uh, um, Albany, Rosedale Ballpark. Um, so, yeah, yeah, um, up in Rosedale. Yeah, yeah so, um, you know, fingers crossed there. So, uh, 
and the breakers keep rolling on. It's a yeah, big old sporting weekend. Win. That I was know, a massive they're, win. They're good. They're back in pink, and they've got the stadium up and running again. And it is a fun, uh, fun night out. Perhaps if anyone is thinking of coming to Auckland over the uh, the Christmas break or whatever, and you go, oh, that's a thing to do. Yeah. Go to one of those Scored breakers. Sixty-seven now. points in the first half or something. Yeah, it was just amazing. They're very good. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much, Barry. Okay. You are. Oh, nice to talk to you. Have a good week. Good to talk to you. Yeah, okay, so, so much on. So, yeah, we'll um, keep you live with what is happening too in the Football World Cup. But that was Barry Guy there from the Sports Department. It is 21 to 6. I'm Nathan Radita here. Between now and the end of the programme, you're going to hear about the St James Theatre as we take a look inside. And we speak to the chair of the Sandringham Business Association. <laughs> The professionals of RNZ are here after 6 o'clock. It's Morning Report. Guy and Espiner is with me now. Kia ora, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Nathan. Uh, the big interview this morning, the Prime Minister's slot on a, on a Monday morning. Crime is going to be a big issue. She went to mm-hmm. the funeral of the steering worker yesterday. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the Prime Minister to, to lay out what she's going to do to, to calm nerves and to respond to these protests which are happening across the country uh, this mo- uh, today. So we'll be talking with the Prime Minister this morning. Mm. Uh, the government trying to set the agenda too with this extra $200 million to boost the pay of those health staff who work outside hospitals. What? I heard that in the news. What yeah. does outside the hospitals well, mean? Well, aged care facilities. Really. Oh, okay, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's one okay. of the big ones, right? That, yeah. that, um, in, in, simple, in simple terms, the uh, aged care facility nurses haven't been getting the same money as those who work in the hospitals. Okay. This $200 million is, is supposed to go some way to, to addressing that. But nurses who work for GPs will miss out. The government's saying that they don't see evidence that there's a pay gap between those nurses and those who work in in, um, in that, hospitals. Do they treat them as a private clinic or something? Yeah, well, so that's, they go, one, that's, of weird, that's one of the weird there. bits of the system, isn't it? That mm. the GPs set up in New Zealand is is a is a is a private that businesses, yes. which is takes some getting your head around about that, the way that that's evolved. Okay, but okay. so they they won't they'll miss out on that. So that'll be that'll be controversial. Mm. Uh, we'll talk to the health minister uh, Andrew Little this morning around about six forty and try and unpack all that for for listeners. Um, I guess one of the big international stories this morning: these anti-lockdown protests in China. China, yep. and and people actually calling for Xi Jinping to resign. I mean, that's pretty pretty full on in China. Quite a bit of bravery in countries Isn't recently, Iran, where you would yeah. think of yeah, you'd think of an oppressive government. It's, so it's interesting that that bravery now of like no, nah, actually, yeah, that's right. And mm. so so it looks like the the lockdown is is really uh, get, getting to boiling point in China. So we'll, we'll we'll talk to Rodney Jones, who's a great commentator on these issues, about that this morning. Wonderful, thank you very much. Yes, well, look, the the future of Auckland's St James Theatre is set to be decided in Parliament as pleas for its restoration ramp up. The 1920s theatre has hosted some of the world's biggest acts, including James Brown, Miles Davis and Joni Mitchell, but the venue, which is just off Queen Street, has sat dormant for the past six years. Renovation plans have fallen by the wayside with an apartment building that was due to be built next door to provide funding also hitting the wall. Now, amidst a music venue shortage across New Zealand, a group called Save the St James, alongside Auckland's Central MP Chloe Swarbrick, are fighting to restore the venue to its former glory. Leonard Powell visited the crumbling theatre to find out what it's going to take to bring it back to life. On a gloomy Auckland day, Chloe Swarbrick opens the doors of the St James Theatre, offering a rare chance for members of the public to get a peek inside. Water drips from a patchy ceiling as the crowd files in to take photos and wander around the historic venue. The ground level no longer has seats or even a floor, just a mixture of dirt and rubble. There's graffiti on the walls and mould laying waste to the carpet in the foyer. 
One visitor tells me he's been going to the St James before most of those in the group were even born. Jeff Hayward, born and raised in Auckland. I'm 73 now. I came to shows here in the 70s and it's heyday. I saw Joni Mitchell here. Numerous acts I've seen. Chrissy Hind. A lot of famous names of theatre have walked the boards here. Assessing the state of the building, Jeff is struck by what a loss it is to the city. And this is once again another tragedy on a scale with His Majesty's Theatre, which was demolished by callous developers and, I have to say, corrupt council that rushed through a demolition that should never have been allowed. Now, this has been allowed to deteriorate like this over years. Most of Auckland's great Victorian era and Art Deco architecture has been allowed to be demolished. We once boasted majestic picture palaces up and down Queen Street, all gone. Other countries preserve their artistic heritage. You know, other than the civic, Auckland doesn't seem to care. And this is just unbelievably tragic. As we chat amongst the debris of what was once the orchestra pit, Jeff is resigned to the theatre being laid to waste. It's heartbreaking to be here. When this is gone, everyone will say, why do we allow St James to be destroyed? And then you, the same old thing is played out time and time again. You know, in Italy or London, this would be celebrated. Here, and not enough people care. But all is not lost. Owner Steve Bealby has been involved with the St James Theatre since 2010 and bought it in 2014. Although it's continued to deteriorate, he says there's reason for optimism. I think I'm probably the most optimistic I've been about this project in a long time. It was certainly challenging for us in, in 2017 when it fell over. I guess we, we came together as a team and sort of worked out what we did wrong, what we did right, and hopefully we've reworked it and come up with something this time that will, will fly. Discussions about saving the St James are currently underway with the Ministry of Arts, Culture and Heritage. They are engaging. There's not a deal done yet, so we're just uh, talking. Council have already committed $15 million to the project, and yes, you know, the building won't happen without that, but we need government to come along and at least match that. You know, there might be more required depending on what do we want at the end. You know, what sort of theatre do we want at the end? Do we want one that can do state-of-the-art shows or are we happy with one that does concerts and comedy, kind of? You know, it, it all depends on the end use. Across the abandoned bar, I meet Brian, who's been the St James caretaker for the past 25 years. Our biggest issue really has been keeping the street kids out, keeping the pigeons out, keeping the water out has been relatively easy. Keeping street kids out is hard work. How often is that? have people been breaking in and that sort of thing? Three times a week. Definitely weekly. At the moment, we've probably in the last three weeks had four break-ins. During the school holidays, it tends to get worse. And what's it like for you when you turn up and open the keys and see someone's broken in? Scary. <laughs> you don't know whether they're still here. It's a big building to walk around. Brian believes the St James can be restored, but says things need to happen quickly. I think a lot of the public need to know that it is saveable. All we need is central government to agree to come up with some funding towards it. And I think we've got a chance. If we don't get to do some urgent repairs, and I say when I say urgent, within the next two to three months, we've got a problem. Chloe Swarbrick is also backing the campaign Save the St James. Despite the theatre falling to pieces, 
the Auckland Central MP says it can be done. The St James, interestingly enough, is in better shape than the Civic was 20 years ago when the Civic was undertaken to be done up uh, and to be fixed for all to enjoy. Effectively, this venue, the St James Theatre, uh, stands to fill quite a big hole for particularly young uh, local musicians looking to get a foot in the door and continue building their career who can't quite get the radio play that's necessary to get into a 12,000 venue like Spark Arena. Ms Swarbrick says there's massive support for the theatre to be restored but the clock is ticking. There's huge public support, you know, and it's been actually really sad since I first came into this space uh, about three years ago now, actually. It was in a better shape than it is at the moment. We're now in a situation where there's a huge amount of water that's flowing through whenever it rains, and that ingress is then resulting in the kind of collapsing of parts of the ceiling, which you can see above us, uh, and the front part of the stage, that facade there. And more and more of this is going to happen. People then say, well, you know, you could uh, waterproof it, and sure, we can do, you know, up to a certain extent of waterproofing which is again an excess cost to try and put it in a mothballing state but we're not having a mothballing conversation anymore that's kind of do or die. Chloe Swarbrick ending that report from Leonard Powell. It's 10 to 6 at the moment. The shopkeeper killed in an alleged robbery in Auckland Sandringham was farewelled yesterday at a packed ceremony charged with sadness and anger. Janik Patel was fatally stabbed when he confronted a robber outside Rose Cottage Superette on Wednesday night. Three people have now been arrested in connection with the killing, including a 34-year-old man charged with aggravated robbery and murder. Our producer, Matthew Turnison, attended the farewell to Janik in South Auckland yesterday. Raw emotion on the faces and in the voices of Janik Patel's family as a coffin covered in flowers is carried into the funeral home in Witty. It's a miserable day, but several hundred people have turned up to farewell the 34-year-old. Many of them huddled under umbrellas outside because the hall is full. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern attended the ceremony, as did National MPs Mark Mitchell and Melissa Lee, as well as members of the police. Mitish Dani spoke on behalf of the family. He was a happy soul in New Zealand and was delighted to see his parents, who recently arrived in New Zealand, and they had plans for spending Christmas together with the family. Janik and his wife, Pijat, they made a great couple. They always understood each other and respected each other's families well. They had a dream of having their own business and a home as they continue to work hard to fulfill their wishes. He was a business-minded person, always on the go and getting things done for the family, friends, and was always there to help others in need. He was deeply involved in yoga, meditation and Ayurveda and believed in a holistic and spiritual lifestyle and working on his goals. Janet was very talented, friendly, religious and a peace-loving soul. He was a pure vegetarian and a great admirer and follower of Amba His family allowed media to attend the service so people could see the devastation caused by crime and what we've all lost in Janak. Family member Pooja Dani made an emotional tribute. The night I heard about this devastating news, I could not sleep. Just thinking about the parents and what they were going through, this horrible and evil Act should never happen to anyone, and this is all that I pray for. Consulate of India, Bhav Dillon, paid tribute to all of those who've been supporting the family since Janak's death. This is time when we acknowledge the community of Sandringham, 
the community around the place where the incident happened and how they've been supporting them. So on behalf of the family, we acknowledge the community of Sandringham. Uh, we also acknowledge all the people who have set up uh, candle vigils and marches in the region in support and solidarity of the family. Mitesh Dhani concluded the service. I would just like to say that the passing of Janak Bay is too close to home for many of us who have had, still have, or grown up with small businesses in New Zealand. Most of us have come from immigrant families who have worked tirely, tirelessly for 40 plus years to ensure a better future. Many have endured risks that should have been avoided. I hope that Janak Bay's tragic passing does not go in vain and that change will come. It must come. We must learn. We are all responsible to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone or any family again. After the service, one group of men had heated words with the pandit because he had spoken warmly about the Prime Minister during his address. A protest has been planned outside her electoral office later today. And joining us now is Chairperson of the Sandringham Business Association and we thank him very much too. I know he's been trying his best to look out for the family and also his um, uh, friends around there as well, uh, Jetan Tetaboma. Uh, Jetan, thank you very much for that. The funeral yesterday must have been a very emotional day. Yes, um, good morning all. Um, it was very heavy. Um, um, I had the uh, privilege to be close to the family the last couple of days and and, um, yeah, they had a puja just before, you know, everything was moved into the main hall. And it was just so devastating to see his father, his wife, his mum. They were barely there, mate. They just, they just, yeah, it was mm. so shocking for them. Well, and, I mean, it's a horrible and, and awful and, and tragic death too. How are they coping, I guess, with the extra attention that's that's come into their lives? Um, they've taken it very positively and this is what we well this is our intention to come out and speak about it right for us as business owners as um, Kiwi Indians this isn't about labor or national for us this is about uh, this is a New Zealand issue uh, these people me myself we are part of the community we are the community and my intention is to, we need to speak about it. We need to address the holes that we've got in our society because that's the only way we can fix it. And um, be it uh, the family or myself, we would like to see them get justice and we would like to see this not happen again. And these just shouldn't be words. What are we going to do from today Yeah. so that it doesn't so, yeah, I mean, I see there must be happiness that at least there's been arrests made, and uh, which is a good thing here as well. No one should be scared to go to work. Can you tell us what, what it's like for a, a lot of your business association to be at work and to be this sort of worried, and what do you hope can happen? Well, I've been getting calls saying, Jitin, I'm, I'm scared to go to work. So that's, that is um, the feeling right now. And... Um, we need strong messaging from be it the police or be it the government in power. Just strong messaging that, hey, uh, we've, we've mapped these guys and we need a bit more information um, on these guys, definitely. And um, and how many more of these guys are in the society? And that mm -hmm. sort of will, I, I think, help the community to plan 
Um, and that that's, you know, you're scared when you don't know about things, right? When you're uninformed, when you're uncertain, that's where your fear comes from. But if there's strong messaging and there's information, then that's what will help with going back to work and, you know, those calls will stop. So, so you'd like to see a, a good, strong sentence, I, I guess, um, set out here as well. This, you know, I've heard lots of talk and read a lot of talk about fog cannons. Is is that something that you're that you're hoping for, or or help with financially, or, or something like that? See, at, at the end of the day, a business. I've, I've had uh, I've, I've heard talk about either sides. I talk. I had to uh, talk about community saying why should you know a taxpayer pay for a fork cannon? And I had businesses come up to me and say it would be nice to have a fork cannon. All I would say to that is, a business pays GST income tax. They also pay PAYEs. They pay. Um, uh, uh, other rates, so they contribute to this economy. Eighty percent of our, uh, you know, businesses are small business owners. So I think it is our responsibility to provide a safe environment for businesses. That's number one. Number two, four cannons are great, but I do not think it's a long-term solution. The, the, the solution would be to sort of change the attitudes of perpetrators towards businesses, towards workers, towards migrant workers. Well, Jitin, thank you very much for your time this morning too. And I understand you've been working tirelessly well to try to help to bring comfort to the family too. So thank you very much for that, sir. Yeah, interesting words there, I think, um, as we have a listen to it. And yes, no matter where you are, you, you shouldn't be scared to go to work. And uh, But that uh, has turned out to be the case now for uh, a lot of people. So uh, those are Jitin's requests. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as we move forward with this. Well, look, uh, first up, thanks you very much for your patronage this morning. Uh, morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin for you from all of us here at First Up. Hope you have a wonderful and a safe Monday. We'll be back in your ears. Uh, Purple.